In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. When Jesus was baptized, the Father spoke from heaven and said, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for forty days. To the devil, it seemed like an opportune time. Here's the very Son of God, the Messiah, now enduring the humility of human flesh and left to face the wilderness alone and hungry. It doesn't look like he's beloved or that his father is well pleased with him. And so Satan attacks. That's actually his favorite place to strike. If he can get you to doubt the Father's love, then the door flies wide open for sin and for death. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. In love, God created Adam and Eve. He was their father and he provided the world for them. And he had called everything good. Nothing that God created was bad. Not even the fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was good fruit. Good for food, a delight to the eyes, and desirable for making one wise. But God said it wasn't for them. Adam and Eve could eat from any tree, but not from that one. God had instructed them to fast. Now we know that fasts are followed by feasts, but we never find out what kind of a feast was in store because Adam and Eve did things out of order. They feasted when they should have been fasting. The devil had struck at the point of God's love. Here's this good thing. It's good fruit from a good tree. Everything God made is good. Why wouldn't he want you to have it? Is that really how a father treats the children whom he loves? To withhold something good from them? And so Adam and Eve satisfied their appetites. And they lost the goodness of God and they exchanged the Garden of Eden for a wilderness. Good things are only good in God's order. Out of order and they can kill you. And so Adam and Eve died. Satan strikes at the same place when he tempts Jesus. Is this really how a father treats his beloved son? Why should he be hungry? Bread is good, food is good. Shouldn't the Son of God always have enough food? Shouldn't he always be feasting? Why not just turn this stone into bread and be satisfied? And why should he be so humiliated? Shouldn't he be ruling the kingdoms of the world instead of being subject to them? Shouldn't the Son of God always be king? Shouldn't he always wield authority? Why not just collaborate with Satan on this one? He seems more like a son than Jesus. 
And why should his life be in danger? Shouldn't the Son of God always be certain that the Father will protect him and will never forsake him? Aren't there supposed to be angels ready and waiting? Why not just settle this once and for all? Why not just throw himself down from the temple, the dwelling place of God, and see if his Father really loves him? Why should the very Son of God, the Messiah, endure the humility of human flesh and be left to face the wilderness alone and hungry? It doesn't add up. Maybe he's not really so beloved. Or maybe God's not well pleased with him after all. This, of course, is the same attack that Satan levels at you and at me. If only he can get you to doubt God's love, then the door flies wide open for sin and for death. If he can convince you that God doesn't mean to give you every good thing, that he's not really well pleased with you, then he can get you to do anything. We learn a lesson from Jesus about combating temptation. It's a lesson that takes practice and discipline. When tempted by Satan, the only words that come from Jesus' mouth are his Father's words. He recites the scriptures and silences the tempter. Jesus shows us the weapon for fighting temptation, but there's something much more important going on. You and I can't overcome temptation just by imitating Jesus. If it were up to us just to imitate Jesus, we would be lost. This temptation seen in the wilderness is something much more than just a good example for us to follow. And that's what Satan didn't reckon with when he attacked Jesus in the wilderness. Satan assumed that Jesus was like Adam, that he couldn't keep the fast, that he would grasp after good things like food and authority and divine protection. But Jesus is a new and better Adam. And he came into the world precisely so that he could forego those good things for our sake. He came into the world to be hungry, to be humiliated, and to be forsaken by God. He didn't come to feed himself, he came to feed us. Jesus hungers so that we can be satisfied. Jesus fasts so that we can feast on a bread better than that made from stones. Jesus fasts so that we can feast on his body. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. He didn't come to seize authority. He came to rule a different kind of kingdom and to overthrow the prince of this world by suffering humiliation. He came to reign from the throne of the cross. Jesus came not to save his life, but to lose it. He didn't come to claim divine protection, but to be forsaken by his Father. The love of God isn't proven 
in that he keeps his son safe from danger. The love of God is embodied in the death of his son. When Satan attacked Jesus in the wilderness, he didn't reckon with the fact that death was the very reason Jesus had come into the world. After his baptism, the very Son of God, the Messiah, enduring the humility of human flesh, was left to face the wilderness alone and hungry. And as he overcame the temptations of the devil, his reward wasn't a full belly or the kingdoms of the world or the protection of his Father. His reward was our salvation. As the church goes through Lent, you and I are drawn along with Jesus, who is the incarnation of the Father's boundless love for you and for me. As we follow Jesus through the wilderness, as we fast before we feast, as we bear our crosses, and as we die to sin, Jesus gives us his victory over Satan. He turns this wilderness back into the Garden of Eden. He restores to us the goodness of God. You are the beloved children of the Father, and he is well pleased with you. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.